Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good Thursday morning, everyone. Doug Farrar, editor of Touchdown Wire on the USA Today Sports Media Group with Mark Schofield, our five-tool guy, as always. Mark looking like he's uh, about to do a five-mile run. How's it going, man? <laughs> I don't have five miles left in these legs, Doug. I mean, maybe it's, 50 yards. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, week, it's week four, so we have to, you know, if we go to the gym, we have to condense our workout. Yeah, yeah. This morning's workout was literally like 30 minutes. Yep. Plus, Thursday is shoulder day for me, and my shoulders are a mess, so it's it's a double shot of pain. Yeah, something like that. Uh, speaking of, uh, let's start with, uh, well, ordinarily we start with the Thursday night game on Thursday morning, but uh, you may have heard, Mark, there's this uh, Sunday night game, uh, Buccaneers at Patriots. I heard something I, about that. I don't know if there's a storyline here, so I guess we can just riff. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not there's not a lot to talk about with this one. No, you know, soap opera sagas or anything mm. like that. No, no revenge. No, the the guy who has the biggest chip on his shoulder in NFL history, not out for blood, going back right. to where he came from for twenty years, and they didn't want him. And um, so let's start with this. Uh, there is a quarterback who's going to decide this game, and it ain't Tom Brady. It's Mac Jones. Nope. And I know you are a Patriots scholar. You've watched more Patriots tape than I have. But I was looking through Pro Football Focus's stats, and I saw one that made me go, "Oh crap! I have to watch the tape." It was Mac Jones on passes of 20 or more air yards last Sunday. One of 11, 27 yards, no touchdowns, one interception against the Saints. And I went back, and you have to find the context. Five of those 11 deep balls were on the Patriots' last drive when they were way they were out of it, and yeah. he's just vomiting the ball up trying to do something. But all five of those were incompletions. And so I went back, okay, the, the incompletion, the deep incompletions that matter, what was going on. And it was like, everything was wrong. Um, I messaged you yesterday and I said, okay, I expected more separation than this. Not yeah. only from the receipt, Johnny Smith looks like he's running in cement. Is he hurt? He's been dinged up a little bit. I mean, but yeah, across the board, separation is like hard to come by. Yeah. It's, I, I, it's, I wouldn't recommend that. Cause yeah. I'm like Corey Davis, man. I got no hops. <laughs> Um, but it's not just, but I, I had flashbacks to 2019 where it's not yeah, just the receivers said, yeah. who are, who are not creating separation. They're not really dialing up beaters for Mac Jones. That's my, that's my interpretation. I watched only one game really heavily and it was against the saints. You've watched all of it. You do all, you tell me, am I wrong here? No, you're not wrong. I mean, but I, I think, and I wrote this last week that there are problems beyond just Mac Jones. There's a problem with protection, the right tackle spot with Trent Brown being hurt has been a problem that has created situations where Mac feels like he has to climb the pocket and he climbs and invites more pressure. There have also, like you said, there have been instances where guys aren't open or sometimes there are guys that are open downfield and he's not pulling the trigger. And you also wonder, look, with those 11 throws and yeah, five of them came, you know, on the last drive. 
the conversation the first two weeks in New England has been he's not throwing the ball downfield. He's not attacking downfield. He's Which afraid to true. throw downfield. No, it's not true. But then you see them come out and try to be aggressive downfield. You see him try to force some stuff downfield. That's a problem. Um, they, well, they, and now I, I want to go back to the like the first the first two deep incompletions came on second and third down. Patriots first offensive drive. The second and three from the New England thirty yard line. He's got Aguilar as the ISO receiver to the bar, not the ISO. They're they're uh, two by two in motion, but he's the outside guy, um, and he's got Lattimore right on his ass, and they're trying to hit a boundary fade. Nelson Aguilar is not the guy you want outside on a 30 yard boundary fade with one of the better man cornerbacks in the league because Lattimore is playing a lot better. So part of it to me is personnel. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly that, that aspect to it. I mean, the idea was going into the season, they would be heavy 12, use the tight ends, get them in, you know, favorable matchups and things like that. There's a game script component to that. If you're down three scores, 12 personnel play action, isolating the tight ends on linebackers might not be the recipe. You need guys that can sort of consistently separate. When Aguilar was becoming this like sort of vertical threat last year with the Raiders, it wasn't like he was just winning one-on-ones on go balls. It was like schemed up stuff. It was posts from condensed formations, post over Yankee, where, you know, you have the opportunity to sort of manipulate a defender it's not just a guy winning one-on-ones and well so, it's waller going up the up top and aguilar winning on something else from the slot that was a lot of it he that was a lot of it too he yeah. wasn't the guy and that's not a slam on aguilar it just he no. is what he is and you, you act accordingly yeah, but, they don't, mean, it, it, but they don't have a darren waller they don't have someone that they can use to threaten and then i'm looking at the uh this was the incompletion of johnny smith 954 left in the first half. And this is where they did what is Tom Brady's kryptonite. They got him right up the middle. And then he, from either side, the whole thing broke down. And that one, I'll blame him on the line. Um, and the Saints blitzed a ton, played a ton of man coverage. Well, that's who they are. It's what they do. Yeah. Um, so Jones runs to the right. And you know the concerns I had about Mac Jones pre-draft, which was yeah. there is no second reaction building. You see it here. He's throwing off his back foot. He does not square his shoulders to the target. This is not a guy – I don't think he knows, and, and I'm not – I don't know if it's him coaching, but I'm not – I'm not slamming anyone here because it's a, right. it's a pretty drastic statement to say that Mac Jones does not physically and mechanically know how to throw on the move. And I'll say it, what I've said all along about Mac Jones. I don't think you can do that in today's NFL. I mean, yeah, the, this was the whole pre-draft discussion is can a lesser athletic quarterback be successful in today's NFL? As we've seen this trend towards the athletic types and even a Joe Burrow who, while you want to describe Joe Burrow as a super athlete, he can throw well on the move. He can create, he can extend with his feet. He's athletic enough. We're not asking you to be Michael Vick, but you have to to create out of boot. I mean, Kirk Cousins creates out of boot. Jerry Hoff creates out of boot. This is what we, we, we're not asking you to be Kyler Murray or Russell Wilson and run around for 15 seconds and do crazy shit. But you yeah. have to be able to be functionally mobile out of the pocket. Yeah, and that's that's an issue for Mac Jones right now. And so then the thought was, look, they'd have a great offensive line in front of them. They'd protect him. That's been a problem. That offensive line hasn't been the great offensive line that people thought it was going to be. With Trent Brown down, there's been some other stuff that's happened to them. And so now he's pressured and having to create, getting moved off the spot, which wasn't his strength coming out of Alabama. You talk about game script. Well, here's the problem or set of problems for the Patriots in this game. 
the Buccaneers lead the league in points per game, 34.3, I believe. You are not going to run on their defense. Nobody does. No. And these guys are not going to be the exception. So unless that defense, and I want to throw it over to you about New England's defense in a second here against Tampa Bay's offense, that's obviously their side of this. Unless that defense puts like a like if if Matthew Judon turns into Derek Thomas, and you know the non Gilmore secondary, if JC Jackson becomes Deion Sanders, and both of those things are possible because they're great players, um, you're going to have a situation where the Buccaneers are up. You're not going to be able to run the ball, and you're going to have to throw deep. At that point, I think they're screwed. I yeah. think this game is over. Yeah, I mean there there's certainly a possibility that we are watching something else by halftime. I mean that this could be a game that gets out of hand. You know, I, I think from New England's perspective, and probably there's nobody on the planet that knows Tom Brady better than Bill Belichick. I mean, you listen to the the episode of Coach Bass's pod where he has Dean Pease on. Dean Pease talked about how during game weeks, Belichick spent maybe 20 minutes the entire week with the defense. The rest of the time he was in Brady's ear yep. about what defenses are going to try to do to him, what defenses – you know, what concepts and coverages are trying going to try to take stuff away from him and how to attack them and things like that. So, you know, Belichick knows like what Brady's, where Brady's mind is at. And of course, look, the easy, you know, rote canned response. How do you stop Brady pressure with floor interior pressure, you know, all that stuff. And I'm sure they'll try to get some of that, but there are other things you might have to try to do. You might have to do some drop eight stuff where you're trying to force Brady, like sort of the, the Rex riot approach to stopping Tom Brady, which is condensed throwing lanes, you know, try to force Brady outside the numbers and deep. The problem is he's now in a Bruce Arians-ish offense where he's throwing deep. He's throwing to the outside. It's almost Except where they he's want not to really, be. He's not creating explosive plays that way. It's not 20 yards or more. It's like 10 to 19 is where he's just destroying people this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's certainly effective in that area. I mean, there's also a vertical component to this offense, and, you know, we've seen some of that as well. The the opening night touchdown to Antonio Brown, not 8-9, nine, 9-6-9, because Godwin kind of ran a dig. Uh, but it's a vertical area. It's concept that he's hitting stuff over the top. And Brown is off the, the COVID list as of this morning, I guess. Yeah, and, and so, look, this, this game, with everything you just outlined, when, you know, the – Buccaneers go up big, which we think they might, or at least have the potential to do so. It has them hallmark of a big Tampa Bay win. And the other part of this is, yes, Bill Belichick knows Tom Brady better than anyone else. Tom Brady knows Bill Belichick better than anyone else. And Tom Brady's a freaking cyborg. And he's yeah. an angry cyborg. And he's a cyborg who is going into this thing with axes all over the place. Just So if you're Bill Belichick, how do you do it? How do you – what knowing what you do about Tampa Bay's offense and New England's defense – I'm putting it in, okay, you're Dean Pease and you're Bill yeah. Belichick's defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, so, I, I I think you're I didn't call have you to... special advisor Matt Patricia because I like you. Oh, well, I appreciate that though. I mean, I, I can I can hold on a second. I can I can do oh, don't. Um okay, uh let's stop recording <laughs> turn the video yeah. off. Um, you know, I, I I think obviously Tom Brady has seen everything, right? So there's no spun safety look, there's no drop eight look, there's no overload blitz look that Tom comes Brady to the has line and goes do, 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 and he's got everything. Yeah, no I mean so you so you you mix stuff up. I I think you're gonna try some interior stunt and blitz packages to try to get that interior pressure on them. I think you might see some overload looks like we've seen from New England earlier this year, where you've got you know four guys from the A gap onto the outside of the either Uche or or, or Josh um, Matthew uh, Judon isolated backside. 
Uche's been in and out of the lineup, so that's a question mark too. I think you do do drop some drop eight stuff. Brady this year, uh, three of six for 19 yards and one interception when defenses have gone drop eight against him. Now, that's also misleading because the interception was on a Hail Mary. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it was the Again, Hail Mary. Context. Yeah, exactly. New England, um, when they've gone drop eight this year defensively, nine, they've allowed nine of 19 for 111 yards and one interception. That interception thrown by Zach Wilson. Who's not exactly Tom Brady, and, and so Look I don't at know how you much... your SIS subscription from winning the thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, we got to do something with this data. Um, so I mean, you, I, I think you mix some of that stuff in as well. But he's seen everything. Like that, there's there's nothing that you're going to roll out there that Tom Brady hasn't seen. So I, I think you try to vary it as much as you can. And I think by some of this drop eight stuff, you're going to keep a lot of stuff in front of you. Maybe it caters to like Tom Brady carving you up a little bit for like six or seven yards at a time, but maybe that way you can prevent the game from getting out of hand. They're also, and we talked about this before the season because it's, it started to come true. Like after the bye, after they got just killed by the saints, pre-snap motion, play action, the Brady concepts in his offense, they're not being obstinate. They're not at loggerheads. Um, This is the full meal deal. And they're going to and, and Belichick said it, it. First of all, there seems to be a little bit of uh, I don't want to say anger between Belichick and Arians, but reading those what those two guys have said about each other this week, there, there's a little. I don't think those two guys are the best of friends when they get together at like the GM meetings and things like that. Well, first of all, Belichick and you know this when they're facing a team of chumbalones, Belichick will. At, you know, if it, if they're p- facing like the worst defense in the NFL, he'll talk them up all week like yeah. the eighty-five Bears. Yeah, when he's, when he's got a real challenge, it's like right. But what was so interesting that, though that tells the tale. Belichick this week basically saying that yeah, Arians is just running our offense. You know, it's the New England offense. Yeah, just with and Arians said, well, I, is, "I thought Bill stole it from us." <laughs> yeah, which is just the two of them going back and forth has been hilarious. This I week, will but, say, as good as self scouting at Belichick is, don't get into a war of words with Bruce Arians because yeah. you ain't gonna win. Nope. nope. And I want Bruce Arians to be my dad. Yeah, he's just so cool. He is very. Um, is there a New England player, especially on defense? But is there somebody that you've observed that maybe we're not talking about enough? Um, Judon and JC Jackson are kind of my guys. So I bring them up someone who needs to really amplify his performance in this game for the Patriots to win, because I I'm looking at this, like the Patriots are going to need to pull out uh, several rabbits out of their whatever's to, to make this happen. Yeah. I mean, a, a potential player there might be Juwan Bentley, the linebacker um, who's played extremely well this year. He was thought of more as your, you know, your two down thumper that's going to be off the field on third downs. He's been better in coverage. He's great against the run and he's a very good interior blitzer. And I think it's the ability against the run as well as his ability as an interior blitzer. If you watch the first Zach Wilson interception against New England, you know, in week two, it's Bentley, the first of four. Yeah. Uh, It's Bentley on the interior blitz that like influences that throw being high. And so I think if there's sort of like an underrated secret superstar type player for new England's defense, it might be Bentley. And this is also a uh, Buccaneers offensive line with Ellie Marpet and Alex Kappa and uh, you know, road graders up front. So getting that interior pressure and Brady's kryptonite and all that, not as easy as it may have been. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like, look, if, if this isn't Justin Tuck against an injured Logan Mankins, I'm saying. 
No, it's not. Gonna, or, yeah. or, or Brandon Graham kicked inside against Shaq Mason when I had been screaming all week that that was my absolute nightmare scenario. Because Ali Marpet wakes up pissed off. He doesn't yep. need incentive, and he's gonna he, now he's got it. So yep. there you go. Uh, <clears throat> so yeah, I I, I kind of think the Buccaneers walk walk out of Gillette with a, a considerable win, and yep. that's Belichick for the second straight season. And it's early in the second season, but with a very different quarterback, and your offense is punk without Tom Brady. Yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Best coach in football history, probably the smartest guy ever in football history if it wasn't Paul Brown or Bill Walsh, but that's kind of where we are. Yeah. Uh, Jaguars at Bengals tonight. What is it you say about quarterbacks that progress is not linear? Yep. Quarterback development. Yeah. I kind of feel that way about Trevor Lawrence because there are times when the offense is a mess and the routes are just stupid and he kind of tries to create too much. So there's that out, there's that element of it, but it's a, been such a bad year for rookie quarterbacks. The yeah. thing I don't see with Lawrence is I don't see him just completely overwhelmed in a multi-down successive situation where you're thinking like, get him the hell out of there. He's like, he's not Andrew Luck in 2012, but he's, yep. he appears to be rising to the challenge in, in ways that are impressive. Get Considering what he has. If you want... um to take stock of Trevor Lawrence as a quarterback, watch Clemson on Saturdays because that oh. offense right now. <laughs> well, you know, brutal. you know, Dabo did say if the players got paid, he was going to quit. And yeah, so, it seems wait. like he's quit because that offense is bad. And DJU is a very talented quarterback. Yes. He's a very talented quarterback. Well, maybe they should run him. Yeah. Is, Matt, is Matt Nagy running Clemson's offense too? Because we're going to get into that. For yeah, we're going to get into that. But like that, that gives you an inkling, a, a sort of window into what Trevor Lawrence was able to do in that offense. And they've they have weapons around DJU right now. That offense is struggling. It, it, so to see Trevor Lawrence, well, maybe if your quarterback is six three and two fifty and looks like Cam Newton, you should run him more. Yeah. To see Trevor Lawrence and his ability to sort of tread water and still make some plays, and he's not perfect. This has been a, you know, people are saying this has been a, a down year. I, I'd, I'd sort of say it's a normal year for rookie quarterbacks. We got spoiled by Justin Herbert. We got spoiled by some of these other guys that came in and played extremely well. Rookie quarterbacks are sometimes expected to struggle. It's new. The game has sped up for them, sometimes immeasurably. And yep. we'll get to Zach Wilson in a bit. And so to see Trevor Lawrence sort of hold his own, that's a win. That's a big win. And I, I'm not, I'm not, wor- I'm not worried about any of these rookie quarterbacks really, except for maybe how much longer Justin Fields has to be in Chicago under Matt Nagy. But I'm not worried about these guys, and I think they're going to be just fine. I'm just so pissed off. I'm so pissed off. Yeah. I'm going to be spitting fire in a second. Um, so Joe Burrow, second year quarterback. This, these are my notes. You're, you're seeing Burrow operate in the pocket as you may have expected after his 2019 LSU season, which was the greatest I've ever seen it from a college quarterback. Reason number one is that he actually has a pocket. And you remember before the season when I, because everyone is like trying to take victory laps on Jamar Chase. Like we all weren't worried about the drops and the stripes on the foot. We were all worried about it. So shut yeah. up. The one thing I was completely wrong about with Chase, just based on his college tape, there are cons- contested catch guys and their separators and i didn't see him as a speed separator but that 32 yard touchdown against the steelers 
where he used that subtle hand movement to gain separation at like the five yard line, just enough. So it was an easy ball. And I'm like, okay, Doug, you're an idiot because there are different ways to separate. And I know this because I'm in Seattle and I've watched Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett and Bobby Ingram and Steve Largent and all those guys, but it's the, so yeah, if, if you want to, you know, hit me well over the head with a hammer, because I said that Jamar Chase had problems with drops in the preseason. Okay. But what I will also say is that he has a, a command of the nuances and the subtleties of the position that you do not see from a lot of rookie receivers. So now you have Burrow and Chase. I think Chase was the, he was the, either the AFC offensive player or offensive rookie of the month. One rookie of the month. Yeah. Um, you know, and all of a sudden you got a Bengals offense that is four real and the Jaguars just traded CJ Henderson for a, you know, pack of football cards. Um, I, I just, I really enjoy watching Cincinnati's offense because now I'm seeing Joe Burrow, the way Joe Burrow is supposed to be played, which is yeah. cool. It's fun. And, and the, the vertical shot. And you're going to see it tonight. <laughs> yeah. You're going to see it tonight. The vertical shot touchdown, nine, eight, nine. We just yeah. mentioned it. That's a play that they ran probably 500 times at LSU while they were together. And I'm pretty sure the the AJ Terrell touchdown in the national championship game down the right sideline yes. was that concept as well. Yes. It, so they're extremely familiar on that. You know, the, the reason why I re, I was high on Chase was not so much like separating, but at least his ability and his experience against press. Like you go you go back to that 2019 LSU Alabama game, which everybody in, in football media has probably watched 552 times because of the guys that played that afternoon who are now in the NFL. Trevon Diggs, Diggs the best cornerback in the NFL right now. Yeah. Like that, that was, was, oh God, that was a war. That was an absolute war. I mean, that, that was thrill in Manila. That was, you know, Holmes Norton. Like that, that was an absolute, like those two were literally throwing punches after the snap and sometimes before it. So, you know, he was able to get separation on a couple of those plays against digs and press alignment and press technique. And you're seeing it now. I mean, drops, Matt Harmon, reception perception, who studies wide receivers more than probably anybody, has always said that drops are noisy. Noisy. There we go. Yeah, but when there's a lot of them, then it becomes – Yeah, and, 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 and it's, it's – it what, what's, what's interesting, Matt Walden brought this up a couple of weeks ago. We were doing a show, and he said the presence of beat reporters during training camp might lead to stories becoming bigger than they really should be. Like you've got a rookie receiver adjusting to life in the NFL after taking a year off because of COVID and he's having catch issues. If we didn't have 40 beat reporters charting his catch, you know, his route running, his charted numbers and his drop numbers, we wouldn't know about it. And it might've been like in a non-story. So, I mean, I, I think there's some of that to keep in mind as well. Can I tell my Russell Wilson story again? Absolutely. Uh, I think it was either the first or second practice. No, it was the first practice of the Seahawks rookie mini camp in 2012. And I'm standing next to Liz Matthews who writes for Seahawks wire. And they just signed Matt Flynn to the $30 million contract to Wilson in the third round. And he hits a 40 yard back shoulder fade. Like it was a, like neither the cornerback nor the receiver made the team. It was not like, Oh, look, Doug Baldwin. Um, but it was over the cornerback's head, biscuit in the basket in the guy's hands. And I turned to Liz and I said, I don't care what they paid Matt Flint. That guy's going to start and he's going to start week one. Yeah. Sometimes you can just tell. So there is value to that, but I get what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's certainly value to that, but it, it was the same thing with the Cam Newton, Mac Jones battle where like every day it was like, you know, Mac Jones was 24 of like 62 or whatever. It was just, yeah, there's a lot of information. That's all. There's a lot of information. It's like the kickoff tweets. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. 
Yep. Uh, Washington at, at the Atlanta Flackens. Um, the Flackens are dead last in offensive DVOA. Arthur Smith, Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Kyle Pitts. Um, and Washington is – they played the, the third fewest snaps of man coverage last year. They're playing the second or third most. They're getting absolutely abused. Um, yep. Front is getting a lot of pressure, but they're not getting home as much as expected. This is kind of the Buccaneers' problem. A few yeah. teams have it. Some teams started with pressure and now they're getting home like the Bills. Good Lord. But – and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, we make fun of don't play man. If you can't play man, if you're trying to, because they got William Jackson, the rest of those guys, Curl and Collins and you know, all that they, Fuller, they, they were there last year and now they're trying entirely different things. And you have to train yourself to play a different coverage. I mean, and, and it was the injuries and the opt-outs last year with the Patriots. They went from like the most man snaps in 2019 to, it was pretty evenly balanced between man and zone. Yeah. And so the injuries and the personnel issues are part of the problem, but it takes a while to learn to do that. So, I'll, you know, people are just uh, coach Vass had a thread of Washington defensive plays and, and you know, Vass, when he's on, he's on. Vass was on one. Uh, he had the frying pan going and I get that people are excoriating Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. I get it. I would say that they've got the talent to do this. They should be doing it more. Give it a few more weeks. And you know, I don't know if this is more of a recovery game for Washington's defense or Atlanta's offense, but as much as you've watched Atlanta's offense, um, what the hell? Yeah, I, I mean, look, there it hasn't quite been the, you know, Arthur Smith, Tennessee Titans offense that we expected. There are some interesting usage questions with both Calvin Ridley there's stories floating around that like Ridley's not a good fit for Arthur Smith's offense. And it's like, well, he's maybe next to Kyle Pitts, your best offense. I'm sorry, but if Calvin Ridley isn't a good fit for your offense, throw out your damn offense. Yeah. You, you, you change the offense. And and so I, I think there's sort of similar to the communication and learning issues that are happening in Washington with a new sort of adjustment to their system and you know what they're doing. I think it's similar for the Atlanta offense sort of adjustment to, to what Arthur Smith is trying to run. I think they do need to get Calvin Ridley involved and become more of a focal point. Like some of the usage stuff with Pitts, like, you know, that they've moved him around some, I think he can kind of move around a little bit more and try to get him some, some ice, like the big play at the end of that game to get at the field goal range. They got him isolated in a man coverage, a two man situation against a defender. And he just ran right by him. And so there are things they can do to improve their offense. I think it's the same thing you just said about Washington. Give it a couple of weeks. They are, let's see, 12 personnel. They rank 14th in usage, 24%. You do not expect that from Arthur, and they're thirty-first in positive play rate out of twelve personnel. You do not expect that from an Arthur Smith offense. No, with, um, with some pretty good tight ends. They let's see, ten percent, thirteen. That's ranks fifth. You expect that. Um, they're running twelve percent, twenty-two personnel, and they rank sixth in positive play rate out of that. So maybe this is another example of you know, just give it time. Yeah, I mean, they're, I, they're I, trying I, to figure a lot of stuff out. Matt and, Ryan, and, and it, it, I, I wonder, I kind of wonder if it's Matt Ryan has been in the league for so long, although he's played a lot of different offenses. Maybe this is more of an adjustment than he might have thought. I don't know. And, and they're trying to figure out with Patterson, like how they're going to use him. I mean, you see Patterson lined up as a deep back in the eye. Like, you know, Smith has something to, 
has some things to work with with Patterson. So you're going to see some creative usage with him. I'd like to the see problem them, is with some guys would, with him. You know, it's like with Sean Payton. If you throw a gadget into some guys' offenses, no matter how brilliant they are, it just start to short circuit. Yeah, but I mean, I'd, I'd like to see a lot more, say, tempo with, you know, Pitts and Patterson and getting those favorable matchups, force it a defense to sort of pick their poison. You know, they go light, you condense and run. They go big, you spread them out and throw. Like, maybe it's just my my fondness for the Patriots when they did that with Woodhead and Hernandez and Gronk, like, do something similar. Yeah. Uh, Texans at Bills. Uh, I don't really have anything to say about the Texans, except – Get ready for a lot of Tampa yep. too, Josh Allen. Good lord, yep. it's not 2005 anymore. You don't have Lance and Lance Briggs and Brian Urlacher in the Peanut Punch, so don't play that defense. Uh, I thought the Bills were more less static, more multiple. It wasn't just empty with no motion, so they got that back on track. And the defense is playing lights out, so that yep. you know, I think the Bills are fine. Um, yeah. Okay, we ready? Oh boy, here we go. <clears throat> Lions at Bears. Now, I want to say this about the Lions. And Jeff Risden pointed out from Lions Wire, our, our headbanging buddy, pointed out that Dan Campbell has a, a specific clock management coach, which, hey, maybe the, Cowboys, maybe the Cowboys should think of that. Yeah. Although to take one more responsibility away from Mike McCarthy, I mean, you know, what, what does yeah. he do now? I, whatever, what did he ever do? Um. <clears throat> So what I said about the Lions this morning on Twitter, and I really believe it, um, they only have the personnel to play about a half of winning football every week, but they're going to go four and 13. They're 0 and three. They're probably going to be one and three after this. Yeah. Um, they're going to probably be four and 13, three and 14, you know, five and 12, whatever. But every coach that faces the Lions this year is going to go out of there. And the first thing they say is, man, we were lucky to get out of there with a win. We yeah. had to hold on to our butts. They're they're really playing well for Dan Campbell and that staff. So that's yeah. I mean, it, it's that meme video, right? The high school football player, man. That first half, I thought they had us. You know, I'm not gonna lie, thought they had us. That's what it's gonna be like. They're gonna be a very competitive four and thirteen team, and and I think Dan Campbell deserves a ton of credit for that. And now I'm gonna shut up because you're gonna turn to Justin Fields. Um, Justin Fields did not come into the NFL as Andrew Luck in 2012 or Russell Wilson in 2000. He is not a fully developed quarterback he's actually pretty rudimentary in the things that make an nfl quarterback great right so when i i'm not going to sit here and say this is all matt Nagy's fault i will say that when you had i think this is a the orlovsky said it yesterday and he and rex ryan were just going after like they sopranoed matt Nagy. i, I put yeah. it in the article i wrote um it's now 150 days that you've had fields in there since you drafted him you have no plan for him at all. Now, as Orlovsky said, either this is intentional, you're trying to make him fail, or it's incompetence. And I go back to Hanlon's razor, never never attribute to malevolence what can be explained by stupidity. Yeah, I don't think Matt Nagy is smart enough to do this on purpose. I just think he's got one game plan. If he has Peyton Manning or Michael Vick, if he's got Tom Brady or Randall Cunningham, it's the same goddamn thing. I want to start with the fact that they didn't use him as a runner and miles Garrett specifically miles Garrett at 4.5 sacks. They sacked fields nine times. Yeah. They, the Browns were very surprised that fields wasn't used as a runner. This is what Garrett said. They didn't roll him out, bringing it up here. They didn't, 
they didn't move him around. They didn't get him out of the pocket. They didn't roll him out. They didn't take advantage of his mobility. It made it easier for the defensive lineman to get home, to get him on the ground. We saw Garrett do it. Yeah. Uh, this is what Miles Garrett said to Mike Florio after the game. And yeah, he, uh, he said after the game also, I, I just seeing how we were getting off the ball and how the games were working. Um, the Browns played a great they had a great defensive game plan that would have worked against anyone. But the fact that they didn't, that Nagy didn't use fields as a runner is incomprehensible to me because as hard as Garrett and Clowney were going off the edge, I kept watching that offense. And I'm like, Oh my God, if he, if they run a simple RPO and he runs right, he's got like 40 yards of green this way or 20 yards of green that way. They probably left 300 rushing yards on the table just off of that. Yeah. So, so that's point one, you know, people get into the protections and all that. And, you know, Jeff Schwartz had a really good thing about how you run protections out of empty and what Jason Peters was supposed to be doing on this or that play. Um, I'm not saying that Jason Peters looked injured because he didn't play well. I'm saying that Jason Peters looked injured because after a couple of plays, he was hobbling around and hopping on one foot. He looked injured because he looked yeah. injured. Um the quick game stuff, the, the ISO routes, it's like a bunch of late developing ISO stuff and then three yard stop routes underneath. He is somehow Matt Nagy, as I wrote, he's, he's somehow combined bad Scott Linehan and bad Mike McCarthy in one game plan. And he did it on purpose. There is there, there was no way for Matt Nagy to do less for Justin Fields than he did. There was no way to put together a worse game plan for the kind of quarterback Justin Fields is than what Matt Nagy did. This was, I mean, and, and the bears have been around since 1920. They're one of the, you know, they're one of the founding for organizations in the NFL. They've never. And of course, George Hallis was a coach for the first 25 years. He's not going to fire himself, but the bears have never fired a coach mid season ever. Interesting stat. I don't know what the, you know, the plan against the Lions is. I don't know if it's Foles, uh, you know, Nagy's holding it back because he <laughs> like, like he thinks he's Maxwell smart. Um, right. And I, I wrote in the piece, this guy could ruin Tom Brady if you gave him half a chance. And you think I'm being sarcastic, but again, go back to the Buccaneers in weeks one through eight, when Brady and Arians and, left which were not in the same page and he's overthrowing scotty miller by 45 yards against the saints a week and it doesn't take that much if that disconnect is there it doesn't take that much for a coach and a quarterback to really screw things up and that's tom brady justin fields doesn't send it he doesn't send a chance here they're going to ruin him yeah that's say it flat out they're going to ruin him and i don't know if they're doing it on purpose or just because matt nagy cannot call plays and whether it's d Filippo or, or you know and then he, it's a Mike McCarthy situation where the OC or someone else is calling the plays and he's just there taking naps, eating sandwiches and mangling the clock. Okay, fine. Don't ruin your quarterback. Yep. I'm done. That's, yeah. No, I mean, I think I, you I got nailed it. it. Like that, the, the worst game plan for a quarterback I've ever seen. Yep. Ever. And I, I just wholeheartedly endorse what you just said. It was awful. So and, now you got, you know, a dueling head coach is Dan Campbell, where his players are all in. And I can't imagine any player on that Bears roster is looking at his coach going, really? No, no, not at all. I mean, 
I think the Bears are the more talented team, but I'm I'm hesitant to sort of say go all in on Chicago winning this game because one team has bought in and one team I don't think has. And sometimes in a game between two teams that are struggling, that could be enough. I mean, I think I wrote in my sort of preview piece for the week, the Bears might win this 7-0 on a Roquan Smith pick six. Like, that's how this game could go. <laughs> because Goff isn't going to know where he is, even yeah. if he should. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's one thing the Lions have to figure out. But, yeah. Um, I I think the Lions might boat we're racing by 30 points. Yeah. They could. I don't ever hope that a coach is fired, but people have families. It's it's very it's very disruptive. But um, you have a job to do. If yeah, if I if I turned in something I wrote in five minutes and said this is my tape piece of the week, I imagine that Neil Kulong, our intrepid managing editor, would probably have a phone call to make. Yeah, you know. Do your job. Do your job. Panthers at Cowboys. This might be the most interesting game of the week for me. And we've talked about Phil Snow's defense. I want to get into the offense and Joe Brady and Matt Rule. And I, I did a Charlotte radio spot this week. And we were talking, me and the, the two hosts were talking about how college concepts in the NFL used to be pejorative. And now they're not. And yeah. we've known that on offense for a while, but you know, going back to my conversation about Cody with Cody Alexander about match coverage and, you know, and Cody said, eventually someone's going to come in whether it's a Dave Aranda or whoever, and, and they're going to bring college defense, the big 12 defense into the NFL, and they're going to start to own it. And Hey, Phil Snow's done that best defense in the league. What Joe Brady and Matt rule. And I, I, I don't know if it's Brady. I don't know like what the percentage is because Matt rule has to coach the whole team. Yeah. Well, what they're doing with Stan Donald is so cool. You will, all, you will, almost never see a play where he doesn't have either play action or pre-step motion. Most of the times he he has both. That's step one. Step two is play to play. They might go empty and then it's two back power and then it's empty again. And then it's three by one. It's just bang, 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 bang. Very Belichick. We are going to game plan for the game and for the drive and for the situation. Um, Which sadly Belichick doesn't seem to be doing that right now, but so it's, I think this is the most schematically diverse team in the NFL. Sam Darnold has three rushing touchdowns. Leads the league. Perfectly blocked zone read touchdown last week. And I just, I love watching this team rule and snow and Brady in week two or year two. They're just killing on both sides of the ball. Um, So Cowboys defense is man heavy with multiple fronts. Great secondary play. And, you know, Dan Quinn comes from the Pete Carroll tree. So you think Dan's always been pretty aggressive with his fronts as far as front multiplicity and, you know, Parsons and Osa Osa's playing really well. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of front movement and that's a, that's a common thing with Dan. I was talking to Michael Bennett about Dan years ago when, when Dan was a defensive coordinator there and, you know, then it was like, that's the first guy who really got me in every gap where I needed to be. So, um, and then Trevon Diggs, who is, you know, that, that second year out of Mike Nolan's clutches. Um, so you, and we, obviously we know how great Dallas's offense is. 
So this to me is just that that's going to be appointment viewing. We're all talking about Buccaneers Patriots Panthers at Cowboys might be the most interesting game of the week when all is said and done. I mean, I, I think either this one or chargers Raiders on Monday night yes. are, are, are the two games you really want to watch. I mean, I, I think what's fascinating about this one, the Dallas defense, like you just sort of talked about out of Quinn, it's not great, but it's a world better than it was last year. And with their offense, that might be enough in this division. And it might be, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Seattle's defense in about 2012. Yeah. It had, where you could it see yet, but the pieces were getting the there. pieces were getting there and you could see that maybe in a, in a, a year or two it would be great. Yeah. And obviously the next year it was, um, you know, what's, what's fascinating for me about the, the Sam Donald discussion is, you know, sort of stripping away the Adam Gay stuff. And, and, you know, you see the influence influence of Joe Brady, like there's, they have just like you sort of walked through, they have put him in a position to be successful because of the diversity in their offense, because of the way that they attack you in a variety of ways, obviously the, the motion, the movement and, you know, the play action stuff. And he's still a guy who needs a, the play action to determine coverage and yeah. the, or the motion, the motion to, to determine and the play yeah. action to kind of suck guys in so we can see over that. Yeah. yeah. He's not and, developed and, enough to just go to the line and go, Oh, it's that. Yeah. And, and the, the one that I always reminded people about Darnold was he's not a veteran quarterback. Right. Like, he started playing quarterback in high school. Like I mean, when he was like a sophomore or a junior in high school, he had been a linebacker before that. And he came out as a red shirt sophomore. Like, a lot of these quarterbacks, they've been playing it for years, the seven-on-seven seven stuff and all of that. The bad habits are sort of ingrained by the time NFL coaches get them. You know, that's not really the case with Darnold. And so, you know, it's it's been good to see as somebody that was relatively high on Darnold, the success he's had this year. Yep. Um, I had a lot of questions about him just because his mechanics is, as I like to say, his upper and lower body were consistently having, like, arguing with each other. Yeah. Um, but they've, you know, they've plateaued it out. It's really good. Colts and yeah. Dolphins. Um it's a football game. It's a football game. Yep. Yeah. I think I think everyone on the Colts is injured. Um, Jacoby Brissett, we were kind of hoping they'd run the 2016 week three Patriots game yeah. with Jacoby, and they didn't. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what to say about this. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's a football game. It's a football I, I, game. They, it, they, is a, it is a National Football League football product. Yeah. The Dolphins did have the world's first completed pass safety which was fascinating to see yeah that was awesome you know it's like i really hope that wasn't the first read (laughs) i hope because he had he had the sit route open wide over the middle yeah he did and jacoby you know it it takes him about six seconds to figure it out which when you have that offensive line is not good chiefs to eagles Andy Reid revenge game. Uh, first two weeks of the season, Jalen Hurts with any kind of pre-snap motion. 10 of 12 for 93 yards, 27 air yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a passer rating of 138.5. Per Seth Walder of ESPN, hi, Seth, the Eagles use no motion at the snap against the Cowboys. You think against a fast, aggressive man defense, you'd want that. Motion at all against the Cowboys. Two of four for 28 yards, 17 air yards, no touchdowns, one interception, and a pass rating of 33.3. I feel kind of guilty even putting stats forward, and I know you do the QB Factory podcast, so you're watching this the whole time. I don't know. I, I want to met Sirianni last week, Nick Sirianni, the head. Is it I'm not just going to motion to motion because then you're spending a little more time on the motion and a little less time on everything else. I just like to get up, get ready, get set, and motion when we need it. So if he can't do motion because he's spending a little less time on everything else, what the hell is everything else? Because I don't know what this what this offense's identity is. 
They're running yeah, and, the ball. They're not running the ball. They're using Hertz as a runner. They're not. They're rolling him out. They're not. It's like, what, what are you? What are you? And, and that's the question in Philadelphia. And he addressed that a little bit this yesterday on Wednesday when he met with the media. He said he wants their offense, their identity to be, you know, taking care of the football and explosive plays. Well, he didn't quite get that, particularly on, on Monday night. Um, you know, you go back to week two against San Francisco. They tried to be explosive early in that game. And is he saying that just to hear how it sounds? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and, and Hertz did not play well. I mean, he had the two interceptions. The first one, he tried to do too much with his eyes. The second one, he did nothing with his eyes. And he's got to learn to sort of balance that. Didn't help that Devonta Smith fell down. But uh, on the second one, it was going to be a pick anyway, because he stared it down and threw it inside. And they um, ran what, three times? Yeah. I mean, they, I think three times. Is that a record? I mean, I think they ran six running plays total. Um, oh. It wasn't a lot. I think you do need to run the football a little bit more. And look, their defensive front is good. Um, Fletcher Cox, you know, they got the strip sack safety. Part of that was because I don't know what's going on with the field turf for Jerry World, but the CD Lamb fell down on that play and Dak had to pull the football down. Um, Javon Hargrave is a beast. Hargraves is like so good. You know, the the Eagles have a linebacker problem. We've known that for a while. Um, Now they're getting. Can we ban inverted cover too, by the way? And they I thought, play we, tried, I thought we banned that a while ago, but well, yeah, we, we need to ban that. No, we um, ask, now the problem ask is CD Lamb if they've banned inverted cover too, because CD will yeah. tell you they haven't. Now the problem is you get an angry, you know, team. It's coming off two brutal losses, and they're rallying around a head coach that just got released from the hospital a couple of days ago. And so, this is the start of a brutal stretch for the Eagles because you know they get this game and. The rest of their schedule is just they get the Panthers after that, the Buccaneers, the Raiders, the Lions, and the Chargers. Oof. That's their schedule over the next couple of the weeks. The Lions and are the easiest team there. Lions are one of the toughest outs in the yeah. league. Yeah, and it doesn't get better after that because then you get the Broncos, the Saints, you get the Giants, you get the Jets, then Washington, Giants, Washington, Dallas. Good Lord. I mean, That's a very you. tough schedule. Uh, I'm looking at DVOA, like the – Yeah, uh, the Eagles, it's the eighth toughest schedule left per DVD. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a recipe for a 2-15 and 15 season. Oh, Jets have the worst, so ouch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think with Mahomes, and I was lucky enough to watch tape with Travis Kelsey this a uh, couple days ago, and he, he gave me, like, the, the under the hood of the whole passing game concepts. It was so cool. Um, there's one thing, uh, Adafe Owe did this in the loss to the Ravens and Kazir White, the Chargers linebacker did this in the loss to the Chargers where you bump, you're the linebacker, you bump Kelsey off the line, but you don't then follow him up. You, you bump him off the line to, to remove him as a blocker. And then you immediately blitz Mahomes and Owe got an interception out of that, uh, from, uh, the defensive back and Kazir White got a sack. Um, let's see. Kelsey told me that's what's called a butch technique. He's been seeing it a lot of the last few years. The Patriots and Titans are really good at it. Um, now the Eagles present a good recovery defense, but the chiefs, I mean, and it's a new offensive line. Um, it's new concepts. I think they're demolishing people in the run game, but that's not really who they are. Um, I think there are some holes in, 
pass pro. And I think going back to last year's Super Bowl, it's like, you know, the it's like the pocket passing game is the plane and the, the crazy stuff is the black box. Right now, the whole offense is a black box. There's a lot of randomness to that passing game right now. Um, now, again, the Eagles secondary, hey, you know, they, they provide a good way to figure it out. But I am not quite sure about the Chiefs offense right now. And as I, I made a note in the when I was putting stuff down for Raiders Chargers, and you would have thought I was crazy if anyone said or anyone who said this before the season, would you be surprised if any of the four teams in the AFC West won that division? No, at this point, no. I wouldn't. No, I mean Chiefs, Broncos, uh, Raiders, Chargers—they—they're all hitting their weight. Yeah, and and we kind of thought about that about this division going in, right? Like obviously things needed to click at the quarterback position for Denver, but we we liked their roster around the quarterback position. You know, we, everybody always was high on the Chargers. It seems like that's what we do in the media. But you see Justin Herbert, the season he had last year, there was reason to be excited. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, and you know there might have been some questions about the Raiders, their defense. Were they going to be good enough? But They've seemed to have clicked, and Carr seems to be extremely comfortable now in Gruden's offense. And so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me any of those four teams winning this division. Mahomes' two picks, there was an interception late into triple coverage, pressure out of the pocket, and then he got cute on the no-look pass, and Marcus Kemp couldn't handle yeah. it. And Asante Samuel Jr., whoop, whoop, intercepted. Defensive player of the month. <clears throat> Just love him. Yeah. Um, yeah, the timing seems off in the passing game. And I don't, you know, do I think it's a season long thing? No. Do I think their line will come together? And, you know, yeah, I think, I, I think they'll be fine. Um, and I don't know that the Eagles present a credible threat, but you know, as we get into later weeks, it's something to watch. Yeah. Uh, Browns at Vikings first two weeks with the Browns. I saw a lot of communication issues in the back seven and that's to be expected. You got, you know, Greg Newsom and JOK as, as draft picks. You got John Johnson and Troy Hill coming in as free agents. So a lot going on. Um, you're trying to get Delpit back on the field. But it wasn't just that Matt Nagy was several garbage fires crashing into each other and falling off a cliff. It was how well the Browns did two things. And I know you, you did a whole piece on JOK, so I know you saw it. They were spinning coverage late. And they were blitzing from some really uh, like time blitzes and delayed blitzes where they were kind of showing coverage and then they'd come up and blitz kind of a reverse mug and really, really nice work. You can kind of see, you know, with so many guys who can play so many multiple positions, um, you start to see what that Browns defense might look like. And, you know, tell me about JOK, what you determined from that piece and just, you know, how, because here comes Kirk Cousins fresh off the Seahawks ball crap cover three. Uh, it's not going to be as easy for Kirk this time around. No, but Cousins has been playing extremely well. He I really mean, has. He, he, he it, really it's has. been lost in there. It was lost in their own two start, but he's playing extremely well right well, now. Well, he's, um, he's watching tape with Mike Zimmer finally. So I guess. Yeah. I get, hey, imagine that. Um, the, the thing with JOK, and I, there were people that might have been higher on him than me, but I don't know if anybody was higher on him to Cleveland as somebody that mocked him to the Browns at pick 26 and probably every single mock draft and took some ridicule for that. But you just saw the vision. And, and they got him in the second round. They got him in the second round, which is fantastic. They got Newsom in the first, which is fantastic. You know, and th- these are reasons why I was high on the Browns coming into the season because of what they did on the defensive side of the football. And you can see when we talk about like the positionless defender, you know, the Isaiah Simmons of the world, 
What made JOK intriguing to me as a prospect was you could see him as that sort of stack off ball linebacker stopping the run, which we know deep down NFL defensive coordinators still love, even though this is an era of passing being king. But yet he can influence and be disruptive in the pass game, both as a player in coverage and as a potential blitzer to apply pressure. Yes. It's very much in that Fred Warner. What can he do for you? Well, he can do a lot for you kind of school. That's now, a really, look, I would, I like that. I think you made that comp before. I like that comp better than the Isaiah Simmons or the whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think now look, it's only his third game in the NFL. And didn't Fred Warner play safety at BYU? I mean, he was their like overhand guy. The, he was, a, he was using the slot like the a ton. Wolf he played some whatever safe, yeah. locker was way back when. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, to see him set the edge against run stuff, turn stuff back, stack and shed blockers, make the tackle, to see him on some of those delayed blitz concepts, those read blitzes where you're you're mugging A with two linebackers. If they slide the protection to you, you drop. If they slide it away from you, you're the guy that goes. To see him read throwing lanes, read Justin Fields' eyes and get back under throws, to see him rake and be disruptive at the catch point. It was a veteran type of game. It was a Fred Warner type of game in his third game. Now, it won't always be this easy, but when you put him in the middle of that defense with everything else around, that's pretty impressive what they could become. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean <laughs> there's – I don't ever want to watch the Bears again. Uh, let's see. Titans at Jets. You wrote a piece on Zach Wilson this week. I just mentioned the Titans could be without Julio and A.J. Brown. Yeah. But Zach Wilson, where is he? I know he's, he's not, right not, not throwing well if he has to take more than two seconds to throw. Yeah, I mean, he's dealing with what a lot of young quarterbacks deal with, and we probably should have seen this coming in, you know, we all thought that the Jets kind of did it right. I thought that the Jets had done it right by, you know, the scheme component and that fit. But oh, we loved the fit. We loved the fit. We from, loved, from, yeah. I loved going to get Vera Tucker because now you've got Becton, Vera Tucker as his blindside protector. Because look, Wilson played behind one of the best offensive lines in college football last year. He threw from a ton of clean pockets. It was a very good group. And so you wanted to try to replicate that stuff as much as possible. Now with injuries, game scripts, situations, and things like that, they haven't been able to replicate that. As well as Becton being hurt, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. With Becton being hurt. Yeah. That's one of the injuries. And so now what's happened is he's under pressure and he's speeded himself up in the pocket. And what does that look like? You can see it on a couple of ways. He's cutting his drop short because he's trying to artificially get the ball out faster. Well, what does that do? Sometimes it results in the interception by Justin Simmons where he cuts his drop short, but he has to now wait because the receiver hasn't gotten into his break yet. So he's just staring down Corey Davis and Justin Simmons, an incredible safety in today's NFL is just reading his eyes and he jumps the route or he doesn't go through reads. He just wants to get the ball out of his hand because he's feeling this constant stream of pressure where he'll throw on you know, an inside dig route to Elijah Moore with the underneath hole defender staring him down in coverage. When he, if he got to the second read and taken a bit more time, he would have seen Corey Davis open on his dig route, but because he's trying to speed himself up because he's sick and tired of getting smacked in the mouth, which is a natural human reaction. He's making things worse, you know? And, and I, I long maintained as much as I loved Ted Williams, as much as my grandfather loved watching Ted Williams, Ted Williams said that hitting on baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. I still think it's playing quarterback. 
Because when you're trying to make these reads and decisions and do the right thing with the football, when people like Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller are trying to put you in the hospital, like that's tough to do. And so he's trying to speed himself up, but it's it's coming at the detriment of the offensive structure on some plays. And it's also hurting him from a mechanical standpoint. You're seeing his base get wide. He's stepping in the bucket on some throws. We touched briefly, brushed up against the idea of sitting a quarterback down when we talked about Trevor Lawrence. I don't think you have to do it with Lawrence. I don't think we're there yet with Wilson, but we might want to keep an eye on that because you drafted Zach Wilson to be your quarterback for the next 10, 15 years. If he's starting to develop some bad habits as a result of an inability to protect him, you have to keep an eye on that. And one last thing I'll mention, Duke Mannyweather. We love Duke. Yes. He never, almost never calls out offensive linemen, but he had some thoughts about their right guard this week, basically saying that he is hurting their quarterback. And so when Duke wow. calls out an offensive lineman, you take notice of that. Yeah. 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 Is it, there are sometimes when I'll watch a quarterback and I think he's, he's playing too quickly and too slowly at the same time. And usually and what, what happens that's is that's exactly it. Your reads are too slow. So your feet are too fast. Your mind is too slow. So your body is too fast. That's where we'll I mean, the, the automatic, you know, sort of binary solution is we'll just do more quick game. Now, if you do more quick game with a quarterback who doesn't quite have it yet, you wind up with that crap show from the bears. So that doesn't work. And, and they, they tried, there was a, a play against Denver where, they had a little quick game concept. It was a three-level flood, but the first route to Davis was a quick little spot, and he was still slow to get it out. He was still he he wasn't trusted his eyes. There was a the tiny window to throw that. He was late, and it ended up getting a PBU situation. So the idea that you can just paper over bad offenses and bad offensive lines with quick game, your quarterback still has to be quick. Quick game. It's it's in the title. And, and so when Wilson isn't there with his mind and his feet and everything else yet, you can call it quick game becomes slow game if the quarterback's not reading it right. Well, let me ask you this, because I'm not comparing Zach Wilson to Joe Burrow, but Joe Burrow had a very, very yeah. similar situation to this last year where all they ran was quick game. He had like 200 attempts of zero to one step drops because they're off, you know, you have Bobby Hart and when Bobby Hart is your best offensive lineman, just, you know, forfeit. Yeah. I mean, I, I get what you're saying about maybe sitting in. Would you have ever, if, if Joe Burrow hadn't got hurt through that whole season, would you have ever say they got to sit Burrow? I, no. I, would, I would posit that with Wilson, you keep him out there. It's like, okay, kid, you know, you're you might have a crap offensive line your whole career. Russell Wilson has yet. To yeah. use this stuff. I mean, I, I the idea of sitting down a quarterback is, is he developing bad habits from which he will not recover? And I'm not saying we're there yet with Wilson. Right. I don't think we're necessarily close, but you're seeing some of these bad habits pop up. We saw them in Denver. We saw them against the Patriots. Now we watch going forward. Does he clean this stuff up? Does he, does he work on it? When Matt Waldman and I did our show this week, we talked about fields. We said, ultimately fields needs to be selfish going forward and what we mean by that is this he needs to focus on footwork and the little improvements he can make for himself and ignore Matt Nagy the offense the offensive line and all that stuff Wilson needs to do something similar right 
focus on improving yourself on every single opportunity you get to read a defense and throw the football, like work on your footwork, keep it as solid as you can work on reads, work on progressions, try to speed up your mind. This was going to be a multi-year process for the jets, but one of the best things that Wilson can do now to make that multi-year process pay off is to be in a sense selfish and focus on improving his craft. If he continues to develop bad habits and things get worse, the footwork gets worse, the reads get slower, then, yeah, you might want to think about, okay, we got to sit him down for a week. Just, just let him catch his breath. I think Fields needs to go full metal moxin and just get, treat him like treat Nagy like Bud Kilmer. Just ignore him. Yeah. yeah. You get out of here, we're not going back on the field. Yep. I like it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, God. <laughs> Seahawks at 49ers. Oh, no, no, no. Cardinals at Rams. A better game first. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was Collinsworth on the broadcast. Somebody said, and it was like, oh, God, that's such a perfect thing. Uh, basically, Matthew Stafford has weaponized Sean McVay's offense. Like, yeah. That's perfect. And we might as well talk about Cooper Cup's ridiculous separation stats every week. This is from the great Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic. Cooper Cup is the NFC Player of the Month for September with a league-leading 25 catches for 367 yards and five touchdowns. <laughs> Cup is also averaging 14.7 yards per catch and four yards of separation per catch per next-gen stats, as well as 7.3 yak per catch. Four yards of separation per catch. Not, not on his big plays and then one yard per catch. Yeah. And the thing about the McVeigh Stafford, I know Stafford was on the, the Manning cast, which is <clears throat> required viewing every week. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, I think it was Peyton. It may have been Eli who asked him, like, did Sean bring in some concepts that you liked? And Stafford goes, and it's mostly me learning McVeigh's offense. But uh, it's about the same rate of 11 personnel, very high, but they're not running nearly as much play action as they do with Jared Goff, primarily because they're an empty so much. Stafford out of empty this season, 10 of 14 for 129 yards, 61 air yards, and a touchdown. So it's like, you know, what, what McVeigh said from the start, I can run everything with this guy. Well, they are running everything. And it's, you know, it's become that. <clears throat> it's kind of like the third level. You know, they had the first two levels with golf, such as it was. And now it's like we're popping the roof off this thing. And, you know, good luck. Good luck figuring yeah. it out. Um, I mean, they, they ran. I'll, I'll say it again. It's very Chiefs. It's very, yeah. it's very Andy Reid. The West Coast with the vertical component, um, a lot of empty, a lot of different personnel packages, a lot of making it look like run. And it's actually, it, it's, it's very Chiefs. I, I know McVeigh studies everything and I'm sure he studied this. You know, if I got Stafford now, maybe I can run some of this stuff. Maybe it could get really fun. Yeah. And Seth Galita pointed out they ran three play action plays against the Buccaneers. Yeah. Because he doesn't need it. He doesn't Stafford's need it. Stafford's never liked it. He's and, never and, liked and, it. And, and Seth wrote that McVeigh could just call plays. He, has, he doesn't have to, uh, and this is how Seth put it, double as a QB puppeteer. You know, yes. they don't have to prop a quarterback up with eye candy, play action, motion, condensed formations, all the stuff that had us excited about Sean McVay when it first started. Right. It's all the, the, this different stuff. It, it looks new. It looks different. They don't have to do that. They could go empty like they went a bunch of four by one stuff out of empty last week. And they're yeah. running like quarters beaters out of a quad set, which is just it's just me. Again, and it's that, Chiefs. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's, that's an apt comparison. McVeigh has a toy, a new toy. He loves it. But I think bigger than that 
he trusted implicitly. Yes. Like he had no level of trust in Jared Goff. So he had to problem. Why should he? Yeah. He trusts Sean Matthew Stafford implicitly after just three games. That said, not an automatic out for the Rams. Cardinals will no. be much better on defense. Byron Murphy has established himself. I think he gave up 10 touchdowns in his first season, one in his second, and now he's just balling out. Um, the multiplicity on defense isn't killing them as it did last season, and the staticness on offense is also not. Cardinals have run the most 10 personnel in the league this season, no surprise there, but they're killing it in 11, and they're running 13, and it's working. Uh, and Kyler Murray might be the NFL's best deep passer right now. Now, some of that is guys like Rondale Moore being 30 yards open because of the scramble drills, but yeah. a lot of it's also structure and sequence. So, you know, when we talk about, the, you know, we're going to get to Raiders Chargers, Cardinals Rams, you know, that's another one that's like, yeah, yeah this is going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that, that Cowboys Panthers game, Cardinals Rams is in that as well. I mean, you've got two, three and O teams and that NFC. I mean, West honestly, Buc- I'm going to well. say it again. Buccaneers Pats might be a snooze fest by the half. So. Yeah. So, yeah, no, this one's going to be fun. Um, any thoughts on Murray from you? He's been very impressive to me. And, you know, I, I've, I've already had some crow. I'll have some more here again. Like I, I didn't have him in my top 15 coming into this year. Oh, that's right. what's yeah. But what's been impressive to me, we know the splash plays, right. But the, the nuanced stuff from the pocket with anticipation yes. with subtle pocket movement, similar to what we saw from Lamar against Detroit, right. Where you could see it. Sometimes you could see it on film. Like those moments where these athletic quarterbacks, there's that flash of pressure and they start to bail, right. They're like, I'm going to spin out of this. I'm going to bail the pocket. And then they stop and they climb and then they make a throw. Like, I love to see that because it, it's that like, these splash plays and the athleticism, they're great now. At some point, you're going to be 38. You're going to be 37. You're going to have to, like, click and climb in the pocket. That's how they last in this You're going to be 32, and it's going to, you know, that's – Yeah, and so to see that sort of growth and development and refinement from Kyler Murray, that's been my favorite part of his game to watch this year. Uh, Kyler Murray from the pocket this year, 71 of 88, 878 yards, 425 air yards, four touchdowns, three interceptions, three sacks. I mean, it's not so it's blow big, you out of it's, the water. It's but big. It's well, better. it's big plays, and it's it. It's yeah. a big play thing, and it's a mixed bag with efficiency. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Outside the pocket, I bet his numbers are just going to blow my computer up. Uh. In pocket, no. Yeah, I know. I know. This is always fascinating. Listening. I'm very right. Sorry. Right. As we Google things. Uh. Yeah. He's. He's. It's less explosive plays outside the pocket and more efficient. So it's, yeah, it's just an interesting construct. But I think the overall point with the Cardinals for me after three weeks is their multiplicity on defense is not killing them like it did last year and their multiplicity on offense has come back. So that article you were going to write last week and the article I wrote a couple of years ago, Cliff has figured it out and then he didn't. I wouldn't say push it yet, but put it, put it in the, the, the inbox. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. We might be there. Okay, Seahawks at 49ers. I have issues here. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo against cover three this season. 12 of 16 for 158 yards, 89 air yards, no touchdowns, no picks, three sacks, pass rating of 105.7. We might as well assume that the Niners are going to get a lot of that because Pete Carroll has decided that he has the Legion of Boom on the field whether he does or not. 
Uh, he said this week after several defensive players questioned what the plans were uh, following Kirk Cousins ripping that defense apart. I don't know what the, the mathematics are talking about, where there's a distance off the ball, depending on what the down and distance is. Word salad, word salad, word salad. This year, the Seahawks have played cover three on 35 passing attempts. They've allowed 27 completions for 337 yards, two touchdowns, both a lot against the Vikings, no interceptions. They played a lot of cover three in the first two weeks, and it was like the tripwire was just about by your foot, and then it went off. And I'm not saying because Jimmy Garoppolo is still going to miss stuff all over. He's, you know, he is, it's like golf. He is who he is. Um, I don't see an, I don't see it being imperative from the Seahawks to change what they're doing on defense. And it, there's a, there's a phrase you're going to hear from me on the podcast. And if you read my stuff, you're going to get sick of it. It's called tying pressure to coverage. This is like the thing I'm just, beating the drum this year um, because the more people I talk to uh, who are smarter than me in and around the league, this comes up a lot. This comes up a lot. When I was talking to people about Phil Snow's defense, that's all it was tying pressure to coverage, tying pressure to coverage. The Seahawks don't have pressure and they don't have coverage. Uh, I don't care how good Russell Wilson is. You're not going to win that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the Bill Belichick you got Trey line, Flowers right? saying, y'all want me to be Richard Sherman. That's not a good time. No. So you got frustration from the players because they know they're not in a situation that works for them. Trey flowers has actually been a pretty decent man cornerback, but they're like throwing people out there saying, okay, it's C3. It's, it's, you know, country cover three or bust and it's bust. No. Um, So I don't know with Pete, if it's, he had the, the, the ideal in Sherman and Chancellor and Brandon Browner and, you know, obviously Earl Thomas. And then you, you didn't have to tie pressure to coverage and you got six, like five or six future Hall of Famers. Right. By the way, the Vikings screen, the screen boot game. Holy crap. Clint Kubiak. I know PFF has their like offensive coordinator, like play caller thing that they're doing this year. Kubiak has been fascinated because the screen boot game, the run game stuff. I mean, Bobby Wagner, Bobby Wagner is going to be a first ballot hall of famer. That, that might've been one of the two or not a lot of bad games from Bobby that did not go well for Bobby. And I hate to say that because just on and off the field, just amazing guy, but Whoa, that, that screen game is nasty. Yeah, absolutely nasty. Uh, Ravens at Broncos. So KJ Hamler out for the year. Tim Patrick balled out. Yep. Yeah. So Javante Williams is a badass. That defense made Zach Wilson's light, you know, head explode, which is not hard. But Fangio has always been great with tying pressure to coverage, and I will not shut up about this because it's so important. Uh, the Broncos' opponents are zero and nine. Giants, Jets, Jaguars. But you have to take them seriously, and the reason is Teddy. Yeah. Because now they got everything. Yeah. Teddy is not Matthew Stafford. He doesn't have to be because the defense is great. The run game is great. I think both of their guards are iffy to, to go. Yeah, we might see the D3 kid. <clears throat> but this is the Ravens uh, Ravens team who had to count on the longest field goal in NFL history. And, oh, by the way, a missed um, delay of game. Delay of game that would have made and a fourth it. and 19. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Ravens do have that sort of 
team of destiny feel though. I mean that that win Monday night or uh, Sunday night against the Chiefs, where everybody thought, look, they're they're done. Yeah. Um, they win that game. Well, it's also it's also good fashion. It's, it's yeah. good coaching all around. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, look, like we talked earlier, does it would it surprise anybody if the Broncos end up winning the AFC West? I don't think so. Nope. I, I think they're for real. Anyone in that anyone in that division? Yeah. Steelers the Packers. I thought the Packers got a lot of their defensive issues sorted out against the 49ers. Fronts were, yep. were multiple and challenging. It wasn't just four or five down and run straight at your guy. Coverage stuff was better coordinated. Um, helps you have J.R. Alexander making ungodly plays. And you could walk into the Steelers game <laughs> with Bellevue High School's defense and you'd be, you know, Najee played well. I like they're getting him involved in the passing game, but this, this Pat, it, it, they're cooked. Yeah. We all know I mean, why. We know why. And it's going to be last year's con paradigm, but even worse. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what TJ Watt status is to it's out to it's on IR. He's the, the most underrated guy in that front. They would prefer to use Melvin Ingram all over the place. They're going to have to have him on the edge. And it's like, you know, Cam Hayward is a monster, but um, I, I, I think it was Greg Cosell who was saying this week on Ross Tucker's podcast that their sack streak ended against the Bengals. Um, you know, uh, here's Aaron Rodgers doing even more Aaron Rodgers shit. Not good, Bob. No, not great, Bob, at all. And, and yeah, um, you do wonder why they didn't address the future at the quarterback position a little bit better. It reminds me a lot of Walter Jones's last season with Seattle where they penciled him in as a 16 game starter and Walter Jones is the greatest Seahawk player in history. He's the greatest offensive lineman I've ever watched, but I think everyone knew it was over, but they, they said we expected to start all 16 games. He didn't. And there was a game against DeMarcus Ware that I don't even like to think about. Um, it was very Van Halen three. Yeah. And I think that's what they did with Ben's like, well, we can, you know, we got Matt Canada. We're going to, you know, put lipstick on the pig and we can get, we can extract enough out of Ben with a great defense to at least be competitive. I think that was the plan. He can't throw stick. He can't throw anything. Yeah. He can't throw anything. I mean, it's gone. That arm is dead. And so are you, are you going to muddle through? Are you going to, because at this point you have to start to wonder, because that offensive line is also a problem. Not that it's Mike Tomlin's responsibility to think about, Roethlisberger's life after football and Roethlisberger's always been pretty reckless with his body but at this point it's it's just a pile up it's yeah it's bad um yeah ouch Raiders at Chargers Derek Carr has more touchdowns against man coverage five than any other quarterback um Gruden's scheming it up I think better than he ever has yes Vert's out of heavy personnel you never that's another offense where you just never know what the hell you're going to get and you have to be prepared for everything. And you're probably going to be wrong. Now, Brandon Staley played a crap ton of man against the Chiefs, which normally you don't do when you got away with it. He's not going to do that here. Um, I think it goes back to his sort of variable looks and try and put a hat on it, try to cover, you know, try to do, you know, counter the verts with the quarters. Um, but yeah, your thoughts on, I know you've written a lot about Carr and yeah. about that defense, just a fascinating matchup. Um, talking about where's Herbert in your mind? Herbert's still playing extremely well. I mean, he's still playing extremely well. He's moving into that category of quarterbacks that look, when I sit down, you know, Monday morning, um, he's one of the first guys I turned on. 
Um, the arm talent is just off the charts, but you're seeing him tie the arm talent to the mind where he believes and he's confident enough that there's no hole shot on the planet he can't hit. I mean, the one against Dallas where it was like a 50-yard hole shot, left, left hash, right sideline. That's just an absurd throw. But he's making that kind of throw with anticipation. Like, like that's the key that's that to him is that he's making that kind of throw with anticipation. It's not, it's late, but I have the arm to do it. A la what we call, call like the Josh Allen. It's I have the arm to do it, but I'm going to anticipate that window coming open as well. Say the like a Tom Brady meld of Patrick Mahomes' arm. Like that's how well he's playing right now. Um, you know, in, in terms of are the charges for real? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, they've, they've got Derwin back on the defensive side of the football. Asante Samuel Jr. is, is making some opportunistic plays on the defensive side of the football. Chris, yeah, Chris Harris is out of the shoulder last week. I don't know what his status is. When he comes in, they can – and Harris told me before the season or a couple of weeks ago that they alternate Derwin and Harris as the star in his yeah. defense depending on the package. So that makes it more multiple. Just want to throw that in. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and this, this is, I think, a very good football team. Now, now the Raiders, to their credit, like you said, like, you know, Gruden's scheming it up better than perhaps ever. They're running, like like you said, like Verts out of, like, 13 personnel. And it um, works because you have Darren Waller and yeah. Foster Moreau. They've got yeah. – they set this up. Um, They're dialing some stuff up in the vertical pass game for Henry Ruggs, finally. The touchdown against Pittsburgh was, was fantastic. You know, in – Carr is reading things well. He had a play against Miami where they showed that cover zero look pre-snap. Then they spun it to, to a three-high look, but he read it. They had Xavier Howard down as like a buzz defender, and he threw an out route over his head, dropped it into Darren Waller. Hunter Renfro is a fascinating player to watch now, that like flat China four-move route that apparently they wouldn't let the media write about during preseason because now Ted Wink can finally write about it. Yeah. Like, well, they call that nice. third, third and Renfro. Yeah. Is that the term? Um, it's nice to have that guy as like your fourth option in the passing game. And so this is a fascinating game to, for me to watch. I mean, it's, it's a shame. I don't think we get Manning cast this week because if we did, this would be fun to watch with those two. Yeah. Uh, in 2020, Derek Carr attempted 60 deep passes. This year, he leads the league with 22. He's completed 12 of them for 371 yards, two touchdowns. Last year in deep passes, he threw 10 touchdowns to just two interceptions. So, yeah. Um, now, there, the I wrote about this the, the deep throw to rugs that he missed against the Ravens and, and checked it off. The next week, it was like the same concept and he hit it. Yeah. And that was like, okay, now we're talking. Defense is playing, I think, better than expected. Um, Gus Bradley scheming up that yeah, another fa- a lot of really good games on the slate. We're all going to talk about you know Brady Belichick, obviously, but uh, yeah. I think I think there are three or four games that will actually be a lot more competitive and a couple that might surprise. And Matt Nagy needs to be fired. That's yep, what I think that's a perfect way to sum up this week, Doug. Fire Matt Nagy. I yep. I'm not usually the one carrying the banner, but get him out of there. Yep. Just what they're going to move their facility. Just tell Matt. Oh yeah, we're still over there. I saw a tweet this week that was like, yeah, they're going to move the facility, but at 1.1 yards per day, like it's probably going to be hard. Yeah. Well, there's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. All right, man. Great stuff. As always, uh, anything else you have? Uh, no, I'm going to try to drive in, dive into Brady versus Belichick this afternoon. Maybe I'll get something out on that, but yeah, go 
check it out. Touchdown Wire. Read all the stuff. Larry Fitzpatrick killing us for us as well. Um, been a good week. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good.